0: It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theatres June 14. Get tickets now. You're listening to Slice of Cheese with Jenny Linford on Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Tesco, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon and specialist food retailers. To find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.
1: Hello, welcome to A Slice of Cheese, the Food FM radio series that celebrates the world of cheese. I'm Jenny Linford, a food writer and cheese enthusiast, the author of Great British Cheeses. Cheese is a delicious and fascinating food, and we're setting out to explore this remarkable food and share the stories of the people who make, sell and love it. When one looks at the world of artisan cheesemaking, it's noticeable that many of the businesses are family ones. We talk to cheesemakers around the world about the pleasures and pressures of working in a family business. Johnny Crickmore of Fen Farm Dairy in Suffolk in Britain, Sarah Hennessy of Dulles Farmhouse Cheese in West Cork, Ireland, Jiki and Gabby Vela of Vela Cheese Company in Sonoma, California, USA, and Mark Lee of Trepana Cheese Company in Cumbria, Britain, all share their stories.
0: Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM.
1: Very happy to have with me today someone who's she's I'm very fond of, Johnny Crickmore of Fen Farm Dairy. Hello, Johnny. Hi, Jenny. Johnny, it's really nice to have you on the show again. <laughs> Thank you for yeah, it's, it's taking good to the be time. Back. We're exploring this idea of, of the family. And I, wonder, I thought we'd start with your childhood because you grew up on your... Your family farm, didn't you? Are you the third generation? Is that right of, of dairy farmers in your family?
2: I, I am. Yeah, my my grandfather um, he started farming. He had a, about twenty cows all of all of his life. My father loved farming uh, from a, a young child, and I was very similar. I, I've I've um, always enjoyed being up up the farm. Hmm. Um, or or down the farm, depending on where your farm's situated. Uh, Ever since I was, I can remember literally from my oldest memories of me with my rubber boots on, you know, with my father either milking cows or or, um, out in the field trying to lift a bale of hay.
1: But I was talking to um, a farmer, he was a beef farmer, and he said, we were discussing this thing of... of farming within families and he said the thing is jenny you know when other parents have jobs as a kid you can't experience them but he said, when you're a farmer and you grow up on the farm you absolutely know what your parents are doing because you're living it which which sounds absolutely right doesn't it
2: yeah it's it's a, I, I very often think of that like you know farming and like why you very often find it's a family thing it's a family mm. affair isn't it and and it is probably those reasons is that you know, as a child, that you, um, you know, it's your family farm, and you spend your time with with your family on the farm right from when you're very young. So, therefore, you you're moulded into into a world where it's part of life is farming and yeah. and you know and doing your jobs, your chores, uh, you know, as a as a young young kid.
1: Interesting. So, dairy farming, as we you know, we say sadly, is often in the news because of. How difficult it is! I just saw some headlines today. So tell me about the story of what happened on your farm. Um, you know, so your it was your father was what he was, was he a dairy farmer? Is that right?
2: Yeah, yeah, my um, yeah my father is still a dairy farmer. He's he's working right now. He's in his seventies, still going strong.
1: What's your dad's um, name? We should pay credit to him here. Yeah,
2: Graham. Graham. Right. Yeah. So, uh, Graham Crickmore, so... Uh,
1: you know, it's not. It's often very tough for dairy farmers. What was it that, what was happening to the family farm that you saw that then took you down a cheese path?
2: Through when I was a very young child to when I left school. Uh, um, I left school after I did my GCSEs and um, started working immediately on my family farm. And it's it farming is not an easy job by any stretch, especially when you're dairy farming, because when you have livestock, you have to accept that livestock have to be looked after every day no mm-hmm. matter what and very often farming you know it, it's changed gradually over the years it's they're bigger businesses now but family businesses you generally have you know the family do all of the work and possibly you might have one or two people employed and so it, it is a it's a difficult one because you are working all the time and i never think of work i don't never think as what i do is work it's just my life and that's what i do and i so it doesn't so I'd never think of hours I I work yeah. 80 90 100 hours a week and um but I don't it's, it's just life and yeah. and and sort of going back to the sort of like 90s and the 2000s I, and I and I felt that as as I as I sort of got in, you know a young adult and started to want to um you know, make decisions for myself with the business and my father was good enough to allow me to do that, mm. is that I just, as the years went by, I increasingly saw that, you know, the, the pattern of dairy farmers going out of business in our area. And it started to worry me because I loved farming, mm-hmm. that we were on that same, that same path, that it was going to be us at some point. And I felt like I had to, I couldn't, I couldn't like rely on doing the same thing any longer I, I felt like for us to be able to stay in business and stay doing our farming that there was a, something we had to change I didn't know what at the time but I, I started searching and you know I, I, initially it was into free-range hens which mm-hmm. then sent me down this other path because as I started to research free-range hens I found this honesty box style shed where free-range hen farmers sold their eggs and And it was at that point that I thought, you know, why don't dairy farmers sell their own milk anymore? Mm,
1: and raw uh, milk,
2: which is and raw raw milk, which has yeah. to be
1: bought from the producer, doesn't it legally, I think?
2: Yeah, it? and uh, you see, i never never thought about this sort of stuff my My mind was focused on like looking after cows and farming crops and mm-hmm. you know making silage, and you know that's <laughs> where my 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 focus was day yeah. to day, and I never was focused on the product which we made and which was That's bought in in a bolt in a bolt tank every day yep. we were in a contract so we didn't have to think about that stuff it was already yeah. sorted so that was all automatic
1: a- that was happening yeah
2: yeah it, it was something that dairy farmers don't have to think about so much because you know it's always collected you're in a contract for a year so your milk buyer has to legally um, buy your milk
1: mm-hmm.
2: up to a year you have to give a year's notice so so you just don't focus that your your thoughts on those on that on that area So you focus on farming, but actually it got me thinking that actually, maybe I should focus on the stuff, what goes in the tank. And maybe I should try doing something with that milk myself. And that's when we initially started our little honesty box shed at the front of the, um, the farm. And I just, I just thought there's an opportunity here. We could sell our milk to the local community. The people of Bungie are the little market town down the road and, feel like we were giving something to our community we were uh, at the point of us being a farmer in the Waveney Valley outside Bungie is that yeah. we produce food near Bungie for people from Bungie so it, it was a great feeling doing that and selling those bottles of milk in the early days and getting feedback and people saying how lovely it was and people making the trip to our farm to buy milk that was really special.
1: How, how rewarding I mean that's very different from just loading up and it disappearing and you never knowing what happened to it. you get direct feedback from people and from your local community.
2: Yeah and so. it, it just it just um, it just it just really felt all of a sudden like at this point in my life I thought this is why we do it. this is mm. why we we do all of that work. And like we've made, a, we've made, we've, we've, we've provided food for people, mm-hmm. Um, you know, from, from the ground out there, the soil where the grass grows, where the cows feed, you know, and that's, that's our doing. That's our purpose. That's why, mm. that's why we do it. And that, And that that felt so special. And every day I've got up with a very changed mindset to what I was doing previously, which was thinking about how do I get more milk from a cow or how do I get a better crop when actually, you know, just focusing on actually adding value um, to the product, what you already made. You know mm. why? What you know, we we weren't doing that, but then all of a sudden we started doing that. And so the cheese uh, making. This
1: is when cheese making. So from the raw milk, you then start thinking, oh, I could. Why don't I make cheese from my milk? I'm guessing. And you, you know. And we should we should talk about the the your cheese, Johnny, for people perhaps who don't know it. Mm. Tell us what what it's what it's called and and what what style of cheese it is.
2: Well, we make this cheese called Baron By God. It's uh it's a it's a Bloomy Rhine Brie style cheese, um, very similar to the French Brie de Meaux, but made in Suffolk. Um, mm. And we've been making that now for 10 years. So uh, just gone past our 10th anniversary.
1: Congratulations, and, um, that's a great oh, achievement. You. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah. I mean, it was very interesting because we didn't, there was a gap in the British cheese market when there wasn't a sort of artisan British milk brie being made, wasn't it? And I think it was Nancy who who said, look, you know, we're importing. French brie but why don't you try you know you've got great milk off you I think they probably looked at your energy and thought give you a challenge because <laughs> not an easy cheese to make is it Johnny no no, um, no we, we,
2: we yeah. found that out later down the line if I'm glad I didn't <laughs> I was, I'm glad I wasn't aware of all of the the challenges what come with yeah. cheese making when I got into it but um no there were just it just uh, uh, to us it looked like there was an opportunity there was a gap in the market at Brie de Moe style cheese mm. so much of the stuff was coming into the UK and be, you know like so many shops I'd go into delis as I started to mm. research and learn more and more you know they are always carrying the Brie de Moe and I thought yeah. you know like we've we've done a lot of great british cheeses you know and and, uh you know like we've um as a country we've got better and better at cheesemaking over the years but no one had really cracked this cheese so it just seemed like that was our opportunity can we make a cheese as good as the french
1: and can i just pause there to then bring in your father so this idea of the cheesemaker and you said that he was very receptive to to you doing new things on the farm i suppose so how did he react to this idea of, of of adding value to the milk that the farm was producing yourselves was he up for it? Well,
2: initially, so the first thing what came was the milk shed with, mm-hmm. with us selling raw milk, and he wasn't that keen on that idea. He, you know, he was worried that we were taking the focus on farming. You know, we were. he was worried about my focus on farming being taken to food producing and selling a bit of milk on the side. Right. You know, so, so he was concerned about that. But I – so the good thing about – me and my father's relationship is that whether he knows it or not he always challenges me on everything so (laughs) so sometimes it can be like really tiring like I'm just like I've got an idea and like oh god I've got to tell my father about this idea and I know he's just (laughs) not going to like it but actually what without him realizing it he's actually making me think because I'm, I have a lot of ideas. I'm always thinking of ideas. And sometimes You do strike you need, me as someone
1: like that. Yeah. Yes.
2: <laughs> you need, you need to have someone to balance you on those ideas. Yes. Cause, and to you make know, you the, think
1: about sort of, yeah, firm them up a bit or, or justify them and, you know. Yeah.
2: So, so, so he amount, made me think, you know. yeah, he made me think, well, okay, he could be right. So why don't I still do it? But let's just like go do it on the cheap. You know, I'll yeah. buy a garden shed, and I'll, or you know, I'll, I'll think about how can I do this without spending a lot of money. Painted your shed dem-
1: like black and white, isn't that right? It was yeah. very eye catching, is that right?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we we painted it like a cow. I mean, I mean, the, the <laughs> idea, the reason behind that is is that it's it you it's it's about the way the customer thinks. So, as you are coming down the road and you see the little shed, you know, your you know, you as a customer, if you think to yourself, when I am, I don't know where I am, I am driving down the road, I know I want to buy some food. And then I see uh, like this interesting little shed with a nice place to park my car. You know, it's eye-catching. It's the painted like a cow, so therefore that probably means there might be something to do with dairy inside the shed. Yeah, brilliant. You, you know, so this this everything is done for a reason. Um, yeah. but 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 yeah, the chip once once he got the milk thing and it worked, and people started coming and saying. Oh, I really love your milk. It's just like tastes amazing. And, ah, then, and did you
1: find that rewarding? Because you said you know it sounded so rewarding for you having that direct contact. Was that rewarding for your dad as well? Then
2: it, it was. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't let on to too much. But uh, <laughs> but he you could tell it definitely was. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. the thing is when he when he's out there with his like his farming buddies, they go out for a drink or something, and uh, and they tell they tell him how brilliant the milk was or things like mm. that, and he's thinking, oh, oh this is this feels quite nice it's like the thing i do and people are saying it's nice that's good
1: yeah brilliant yeah what not to like fantastic so 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 you'd see so, so in a way you you managed to persuade him to try the milk and then the cheese thing so how was he so how did he react to that because then you might have thought you know now you're really taking on a lot because cheese making you know is time consuming was he worried it was going to take you away from the farm or you know or just be too much for you to do
2: yeah, th- th- there was definitely that side of it. I mean, it was some interesting because there was once we'd done the milkshed. Like th- when we went on to looking into cheese production, like as we learned more and more about quality cheese and like the, you need quality milk, and therefore the kind of cow what you have is really mm. important. That we I suggested to him like let's change our breed of cow because the black and white Holstein what we had at the time the fats and proteins of the milk were were, were not very good. So I. Did some research with our French cheese maker, consultant, advisor, and he said, you need guru. to pick some, yeah, yeah guru, <laughs> it, pick some, um, uh, a French breed called Montbelliard. So I researched this and I showed my dad these pictures, of these red and white cows. And he said, oh, it brings back memories when I was a kid of like oh. our old British Frisians. I used That's to love those cows and gosh. we don't you know we now got this different style of cow and he was really te- he really enjoyed that idea of wow. getting this cow which was more robust and you know mm. and and with the holstein there's so much work involved and uh, you know you have to look after the animals so carefully and with the montbéliard they're a bit more you know stronger and they just get on with life right yeah, um, yeah so gosh. he loved he loved that idea and when we went and visited some montbéliards he he was really taken to them and he, he he really liked the idea. So, you know, from that point onwards he was behind changing our cows to because,
1: I mean, that's a lot of money I'm guessing, isn't it? You know, you so you sell work, yes. but you buy in so you replace replacing. But I mean, were they you know that's a big investment, isn't it? That's it,
2: it, it was a big investment. Um it's quite scary, um mm. because you're changing the you know, changing a quite an important part of your business which how you is make the for livelihood
1: yes yeah. the so absolute foundation to, yeah. to a
2: cow so we had to like once we bought the cows we were sort of all in because you, you know our overheads and everything still remain quite expensive uh, yeah. or you know still remain the same so by buying a cow what gave less milk that was the income yes. coming into the farm which was dis- was going to disappear right um, so we we kind of we're all in at that point. Once we changed the cows and we had the cheese building being built, we had to make it work. So, so whatever that saying was about the the, the captain who burnt the ships, he made his <laughs> his people fight. <laughs> they and they won the one that they won the um the battle because yeah. there was no going no, back. no
1: other option. That is really yeah. interesting because you're not you so in soon way You you know so by buying the cows in order to get enough to make the quantity of cheese you want to make that is such a commitment because you haven't even tried to make cheese
2: in the way that you're that you're wanting to make yeah are you? Well, so. well well the thing the thing is like my character is when I get my mind on something it is completely and utterly focused on that thing and I and I got into cheese and I remember reading one of one of your books actually Jenny hmm. I, I I had that in my in as I laid in bed at night reading the different styles of oh, cheese in brilliant the, in the British Isles and yeah and I just had my my focus was I was going to make this cheese, you know, like the French Brie de Moe. Yeah,
1: good for you. And
2: and whatever had to be done had to be done, you know, so.
1: Admirable. I mean, but but sort of brave. I'm like, whoa, that is a massive, massive step to take. But, I mean, so we should sort of move on because really in a way, because you're Baron by God, which has got this wonderful name, which is very much a sort of, which is a local Suffolk name, isn't it? It's a reference to. It's a very nice way of tying in the French and the British together, isn't it? Tell us the little story about it. So. Well, well,
2: because of the, obviously, the, the connection of France and this style of cheese. And Bungie actually is connected to France in a, like, a very long time ago way mm. uh, with William the Conqueror. So yeah. William the Conqueror from Normandy, which obviously is where the Camembert the Normandy um, is from, yes. a similar sort of style of cheese to, to our cheese. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, and William the Conqueror came over with his barons, his noblemen and um as he as, as he won the Battle of Hastings and conquered England, he then put out all of these barons, at different parts of England to mm. to sort of you know keep the Saxons at bay and you, you know yeah. uh, uh, um, make sure there was no uprisings. and one of those um characters was this guy called Baron Roger Bygod. so Roger bygod w- was given kind of to look after East Anglia, and the bygod family, like I think it was the third bygod. Uh, Hugh Bygod who built the castle of Bungie what well, probably his slaves right. did or something but um,
1: <laughs> yes but he, Saxons he, probably <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: and anyway the, the castle overlooks our marshes our, our farm um, and that was where the name came from it just sounds a bit cheesy there's That's, a French cheese yes. called Banon. I remember there was I, I read oh, yes, about Benon, this cheese yeah. called Banon, yeah, yeah. and I thought it sounds a bit like that so that yeah, sounds like a cheese good
1: thinking that is yeah that is uh, brilliant i mean so and as we touched on earlier not an easy cheese to make and quite a lot of pressure then johnny given that you'd spent all that money on the cows on the want billiards to get a cheese up and running that that you could sell i mean lucky i was thinking gosh lucky it not it's a quick maturing cheese isn't it you know it's not you haven't tied Hmm. up all your money for 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 months for several months it's it's quite it's a few weeks is it presumably from when you from making to
2: to selling yeah initially we only made the three kilogram size wheel um and that was about um six weeks old um when the cheese was ready for selling so i mean to be quite honest i never thought about those kind of things i just saw the the brie was the gap, and yeah, I didn't, yeah. you know, things like, like, you know, like the the money you invest in the cheese, and then the money you get out. I wasn't, to be fair, I was just so wanted to make a good cheese. I didn't think about whether I was going to be bankrupt in a year. I just wanted to make a good cheese. But
1: <laughs> well, I'm it's... happy to say that it all turned out <laughs> beautifully, and your, you know, this sort of vision that you had and that absolute desire has paid off because 10 years it's a wonderful cheese i mean it's really delicious and and know to what's really interesting is you've expanded the range haven't you so you've got you know you have a lovely truffled baron that you sell at i think mm-hmm. particularly at christmas time that's so which i do mm-hmm. warmly recommend it really is a treat but as you've got other they I make mean, beautiful butter which i'm very fond of buying and and some other dairy products. So you really sort of this whole value adding process on the farm you're really going for it aren't you and you've yeah, got a shop now um, I think. You've got a farm shop on the farm, Johnny, is that right?
2: Yeah, we've we've got we've got the the shed which is now is now like a like a, it's a proper farm shop really. It's still a shed, mm. but it's got we we sell all local produce in that shed along with our cheeses and some of our our friend friends who make cheese, you know, we've got lots of cheesemaker friends around the UK. Yeah. So we 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 sort of have guest cheese come in. We've got a second shop which is a bit further afield now um about 20 minutes down the road um so we've got two shops and like you cool. say we make butter and yogurt and and then we've all, on, on our farm we've also got another cheesemaker julie Chaney, who makes yes. the st jude. Um,
1: jude it's delicious yeah yeah
2: and and the st alina which is a a, a tear style cheese so it's all made at fen farm yeah, yeah. I, it, it's just bit by bit the it's grown over the years and uh and we've Gone from making sixteen cheeses to you know now three style th- three different sized cheeses a week, and we're making thousands of them.
1: This so is your family, your the next generation, and your and Dulcie, your wife, who you know I'm guessing has been has worked incredibly hard alongside you on this journey. I'm so saying was she supportive of of your vision? Did she share that? Yeah, yeah, we did. Design? We did it together,
2: yeah. and uh, and yeah. you, you know, and and that's the thing about you know you have to do it together because you know if you're putting the hours in like what we've had to over the last 10 years, you, you you know, if you don't do it together, you will never see each other. And therefore, you won't have the things in common, Mm. um, which is always a risk, you know, if you're your partner, you need to spend the time together doing whatever you do. So Dulcie and myself, it's been, uh, it's been something we've done together in our own way, you know, me more so with the farm and the cheese making and Dulcie with you know the feel of the cheese and the packaging and the words and the, you know, of, of our business. And, yeah. you, you know, so there's been interesting angles to Fenfarm Farm Dairy um, from, you from myself and my wife and 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 my 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 parents and and, and obviously I've got two two young kids
1: yes I was um, gonna ask so how old are they are your children
2: so I've got Arthur nine and Otterly uh no sorry Arthur eleven and Otterly nine uh, and again they they go with us everywhere as well so yeah um if you ever been to the specialist cheesemakers association farm visit um our kids always go along with that it's a lovely, lovely um, bunch of people, um, you, you know, it's so, so warm and welcoming, you um, people in the cheese industry and it's great that our kids are all friends with one another as well so you, hopefully there's this there's, there's uh, the next generation at some point
1: oh well that was lovely well thank you johnny that was really it's such a great story i it makes me really happy to, i mean one of the things that i've and you talked about that book i wrote great british cheeses and it was sort of trying to chart i think it was the first fully illustrated book of british cheeses published by dawning kinsley had a very famous guide to french cheeses i mean able to talk to all these makers. And record what they were doing, and sort of allow people perhaps to realise, you know, how rich our British cheesing is. Because it was some time ago now; I can't remember—eleven years or something. Oh, it must be eleven yeah. years, yeah, because you were doing it. Yeah, yeah, it has to be that. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and it's just really <clears throat> lovely to see this this energy to the to the and to. It's really lovely as a food writer when someone who makes good food does well. It just makes me really happy. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. So, Johnny, it makes me very happy. So, thank you oh. very much. Thanks for your time.
2: Yeah, no worries at all. It's
1: been great talking to you. All right. Take care then. Thanks, Johnny. Bye. Thanks, Jenny. I'm a huge fan of Peter's Yard's crackers and they go beautifully with cheese. All Peter's Yard's crackers are made in small batches using quality natural ingredients and their sourdough starter, slowly fermented for 16 hours for award-winning flavour and crunch.
0: Online, on smart speakers and on Listen Again, this is Food FM. Savour the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers. Available at Waitrose, Tesco, Sainsbury's, Morrison's, Ocado, Amazon and specialist food retailers.
1: This week on A Slice of Cheese, we're looking at family cheese businesses. I'm very happy to have with me today from Ireland, Sarah Hennessy of Doris Cheese. Hello, Sarah. Hi there. Sarah, your family story is... It's really sort of a pivotal one, actually, isn't it, in in sort of, you know, artisan Irish cheese history. Perhaps you could tell us the story of Dara's cheese, because your mother was absolutely at the heart of it, wasn't she?
3: She was. Um My mother, uh, Jaffa Gill, she started uh, making cheese here over 40 years ago now, back in uh, 1979. At the time, um, she had moved here from the UK um, a few years before that and uh, bought a run-down farm uh, and was doing up the house and trying to live self-sustainably off the land she started with just three cows and a couple of polytunnels she was milking the cows and using the milk to to make food for us in the in the home so that's where the cheese sort of started that was many years ago now and uh, <laughs> she's but it's um, yeah. I mean, it's and it was it was a washed rind cheese in it, which is very sort of characteristic
1: of that. You know, there was these classic, you know, of of that time, weren't there? There were these wonderful West Corks seemed to sort of be lend itself to washed rind cheeses. Was there a reason why Jeffa chose washed rind cheese? Was she, you know, was she shown how to make? If she was learning how to make cheese, did somebody show her? Yeah. How to make a washed rind cheese?
3: Um, well, at the time, there was really no cheeses here made here in Ireland apart from cheddar uh, cheese which was made in uh, co-ops um so it was sort of uh she had a recipe from a homestead book uh she started with that and she had a good friend Veronica Steele at the time who was also um living similarly on a on the next peninsula over from us here so we're we're on the we're right down in the southwest of Ireland on the peninsulas that stick out into the Atlantic. We're on the Sheep's Head Peninsula and Veronica was on uh, the Barra, which is the next one down. And uh, they, she, Veronica was very encouraging of Mother and the two of them. Uh, and I think Veronica was encouraging other women around at the time to to start making cheese. So it was kind of a collaborative sort of uh, thing. The way it ended up being a washed rind was simply, it was a natural uh, cheese. They weren't coating it with anything. And so various funky things used to grow on the (laughs) (laughs) skins. We live in, like I said, surrounded by the water here, so it's quite you know humid. It's very mild. It's a you know back then she wouldn't. It was just in the kitchen, Um, so it was uh, uh, the the, we're actually quite suited to the growth of of uh, the rinds for rind cheeses. So it was all sort of happy accident. And lots of experiments, and you know, lots of there's been lots of variations over the years of of uh, how how our how our rinds have developed. And do you remember that time, Sarah? Were you a little, mm. were you a small child then? Well, I'm not going to yeah. tell you exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you yes, don't give anything away. <laughs> no, I, I just wondered if you remembered you remember, you see your seeing your mum make make cheese as you grew up. Oh, cheese yeah, that yeah. I mean, it. I um,
3: you know, she. I it's it's I've grown up with it it's it's always been there um as uh you know in addition to our family um yeah. the cheese and caring for the cheese and um it's always been um you know what what we all kind of get involved in um my mother um was at the time she was milking her own cows and making the cheese and we live on a very small farm on a hillside farm in West Cork um so our farm was able to sustain eight cows was the maximum we ever got to here and yeah then um so when mother started supplying the cheeses into local shops and restaurants along with her vegetables that she was growing at the time the cheese started taking off and being you know popular and so she had to start buying milk in from a neighboring farm uh, to right. to supplement our own and uh, so we still buy milk in from that same farm. We've been working with uh, the Buckley family for probably over 35 years. Um, oh, amazing. Yeah. Um, Great. That's a there was long a, relationship then, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's nice. And the, the farm is now in their next generation. They've passed to the next generation as well. Um, so I'm working with John Buckley, who's the, the son there. And I mean, I can remember john coming as a very small boy on the back of the pickup bringing in the milk um and me looking out from the kitchen window so it's quite it's quite funny like that it's nice
1: yes amazing Hmm. all this that connection gosh that's fantastic you know when you grow up on a farm you just know so much about the work that takes place it's all around you you can't escape it it's not as though your parent disappears off to an office and then comes back and does something mysterious you're you're living it, aren't you? Did you, um, as you're growing up, did you did you want to stay on the farm and be part of it and carry on the family business? Or or did you sort of want to – or did you go off? I don't know your story, actually, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Did you go off and then come back?
3: I went off uh, and came back, yeah. Um, right. So – I said like exactly as you say it was I learned by osmosis just by being here all the time and mm. and um, being involved um but no I, I went off and studied something completely different and got um, as as you'd say a proper job in an office or whatever um, but I kept got, getting drawn back to the cheese um, and I ended up uh, working on um, managing a cheese and wine shop actually in Galway. <laughs> um oh, so okay. I was uh working with Sheridan's Cheesemongers in Galway for many years right. and yeah so cheese definitely had its little grip on you didn't it then? it did yeah. Yeah. yeah as much as I I, <laughs> I studied completely different things science and but yes it kept calling me back and I was very much involved in the cheese world but from from the other end so I've you know judged cheese competitions and and done all of that and uh found mm. that really great mm. and working in retail uh, I really enjoyed it but now that I'm full time cheesemaker here I realized that cheesemakers don't get out to actually meet the public very much if you're actually uh, meeting if you're actually making the cheese yourself uh, every day um it's actually you don't see the other end very often so um it's yeah. yeah it is good experience and it's 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 interesting and yeah but I I do I really enjoy um being at this end of it now as well um it's very can we just pause for one minute and perhaps we should describe for people who haven't tried Durris
1: cheese. What Could you just tell us as though, you know, we don't know what it is or tell us about it and
3: what it's like and it's, yeah. Uh, so Durris cheese is a washed rind cheese. Um, we make it in uh, sort of 1.2 kilo, kilo wheels would be the standard size. It's a semi-soft texture with a natural rind that's, uh, that we wash to develop the um, different uh cultures that we want to grow on the rind, um, and uh, it the flavor develops from the rind in. Some people ask, do you eat the rind? Uh, I always eat the rind. Some people like to cut it off. It depends. Um, The flavor is stronger on the rind, and the, the texture is obviously mm-hmm. slightly different. We age um, the larger wheels for a minimum of four weeks here, but it, it can go much longer than that. Um, and then we make a small little cheese, which is more like a size of a small reblochon, uh, which is just over 200 grams. Um, that one we just age for two weeks. It's called Durris Ogue. Um, and in the Irish Gaelic language, Ogue means young. Um, so it's like oh. the, the young baby of the family. So on that one, the skin is thinner. Um, it's slightly pinker and gets a little bit stinkier, but it's actually... Um, quite sweet and mild in flavour.
1: Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it?
3: That washed rind,
1: She's family, you know, the, the smell is often stronger than the taste, you know, I mean, it's just how it is, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, say, so some people have put off, but I'm always like, oh, you know, if you try it, it would be, Yes. Yeah. When I use when I, um, my mother's from Singapore and I grew up eating durian, which is this very famously smelly fruit, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's banned on airlines because the smell is so penetrating. It's a huge, I mean, gosh, it must weigh kilos, big, heavy, spiky sort of shell. And, um, and it's very, it's a luxury. It's very rich. When I try and sort of, uh, I was used to do tours around um, the food shops in Seho, including Chinatown. And I would point this out to people and say, you know, when you think of fruit in England, we think of things like peaches or pears that are very delicate. But I, said, I said, actually, the analogy for durian, I would say it's like a washed rind cheese because it has this very powerful odour. And then, yes, and the durian, when you taste it, it is powerful, but it's not as powerful as the smell. And the texture is actually really rich and sort of yielding in in a way, a bit like a sort of lovely West cheese. So when did you start working at, Doris, Sarah, having gone gone off and then, you know, worked away, did, how long have you been back as the cheesemaker there at Doris?
3: I'm here full time now for the last seven years. So Yeah, it's kind of flown by. I can't believe I've been here seven years. But uh, but saying that, I've always filled in for Jeffa or Mother whenever she's been. You know, on holidays, I've always kind of come down and made cheese. So you knew the recipe, you knew the make then? Didn't yeah, you? yeah. I, um, it's, yeah I've, I've been involved you know, for as long as I can remember, I've been involved, but but full time here with my family. Uh, we moved down from Galway seven years ago. Yeah, nice. And
1: what um, has I was wondering over the years that Doris makes it such a long period of time has has the recipe changed from the from when it started? You you mentioned tweaks. Has it been tweaked
3: over time? Oh, yeah, it has. I mean, it's Mother's little, you know, big project, (laughs) you know, so she's always always, um, proving and changing. Um, And even now, even I make the cheese all the time, but we discuss it and she's, you know, uh, I'm very lucky to work alongside her and have the um, experience of all those 40 years of of making washed rind cheeses because Mm. literally she's had to deal with, you know, anything that, i've that comes up with me she's already dealt with it a yeah. times
1: <laughs> so um really interesting. what are sort of the issue i mean would it be like you know do you get unwanted molds growing on the cheese or you know what are some of the the challenges because you know we have this sort of luxury as a consumers of just buying this lovely you know delicious cheese but, but with no sense actually of of how hard it was to make it yeah. what are some of the challenges yeah
3: well, uh, washed rind cheese, it's, you know, it does have challenges. Like you say, uh, you're trying to get the balance right of of, of, of the moles that you want to grow on the, on the skin. And that does vary from time to time. The milk varies. We don't use homogenized milk. Um, it's, it is pasteurized, but um, the milk varies with the season. So um, there are lots of variations and there's little cheese making tweaks that you can do as you go along. But uh, literally everything from cheese making to, to running a small business, all of that experience is just um, so valuable for me. And I'm so lucky to be able to work alongside Mother um, and sort of learn all of that from her. So even though she's not involved every day with the making, she's very much um, still part of the business.
1: Yeah, how nice. I mean, what a lovely, um, what a special thing in a way to have that, you know, relationship and to be able to work so closely with a, with a parent and with a shared Cause And you mentioned your family. Do you have children your, yourself?
3: I do. You. I have two two young boys who are growing up fast now, seven, uh, eight and 11 year old. and my husband's from Galway. I dragged him out of Galway and got him down to West Cork eventually.
1: <laughs> the boys are growing up seeing the cheese. The cheese That's part of their world then, isn't it now?
3: Yeah, so. yeah. Um, and it's lovely. They, they love it. They're interested in it. But like Jeffa was with me, I would never sort of put any pressure on them. You know, they can... They can go off and do what they want to do. Um it's so. very wide,
1: isn't it? Yes. I was you know, your your children are not you. You have to sort of remember that, and they've got their own lives to yeah.
3: to live. Absolutely. I mean, I yeah. never felt like I had to come back and do this, but I came around to it, you know, and realised that actually uh, it's in my mm. in my bones. <laughs> yeah.
1: I was also wondered, Sarah. You know, especially for this period of time, the sort of the food scene in Ireland has changed a lot. You know, since um, since your mother started making cheese, have the the chefs, do you feel is there a sort of a support for for local cheesemakers? Is there real interest, you know, from restaurants or from food shops in having locally made cheese?
3: Oh yeah, I mean um, definitely. We're again, we're very lucky in West Cork here where we are because, like my mother back in the seventies, early eighties started making cheese. There were other artisans in the area who started making, you know, uh, smoked meats or smoked um, fish mm. and. Um, so there is quite a it's quite a long tradition here of small artisan food producers. So as a result, and it, and it's kind of grown up with restaurants and and local shops as well. So there's a bit of a culture of it here, which were which you know my mother has obviously been part of all this time. So the local restaurants there are some very fine local restaurants. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, the, there is definitely a. a a use of local ingredients would be very strong, yeah.
1: Good, isn't it? I mean, I've seen that sort of happening over the years. I've been writing about food in Britain. I've seen that that rise, you know, and yeah. And it's, you know, a really sort of lovely partnership, I suppose, between food producers and people who want to showcase the food, either in their shops or in their restaurants on their menus does Doris cook well as a cheese is that I mean I'm I'm sort of thinking of like yeah I'm thinking it'd be really nice and melted over new potatoes Mm. or that's in my head I'm (laughs) sort
3: of thinking that is that is that it it, does it lend itself to cooking it does it melts really well in fact you're talking about early memories i mean i can remember coming home from school and literally it was dara's cheese on toast like the whole time <laughs> but, uh, yes it does. and i do the same for my boys now it's quite funny but um it does melt really well um it's really good in uh like tartiflette would be one of the one of the recipes that we use quite a lot here with it yeah, yeah. That's i mean actually it's so interesting because when you use
1: an um, an artisan cheese that's got a lot of flavour to it, a sort of depth of flavour. You really notice the difference when you cook with it. And you know, it's quite interesting because often, you know, because of cost, you know, you might not, but then actually it's really worth doing it because it makes, it just gives such a quality to the dish. That's, every, time, every time I've done it, I thought, oh, this is really a wonderful thing to do. <laughs> well, listen, Sarah, thank you for your time. That was really lovely to hear that story. And um, please send my regards to your mother, who's such a pioneering figure. I will do. Thank you, Sarah.
3: Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me. Bye.
1: With their delightfully crunchy texture, Peter's Yard sourdough crackers go very well with cheese. The crackers come in a lovely range of flavours, so you can have fun experimenting with matching them to different cheeses. The pink peppercorn sourdough crackers, which have a fragrant pepperiness to them, go very well with white, bloomy cheeses, such as Camembert or Baron Bygord, a British brie made by Fen Farm Dairy in Suffolk. For further suggestions, have a look at the cheese pairing wheel on the Peter's Yard website,
0: online, on smart speakers and on listen again. This is Food FM. Savor the crunch of Peter's Yard sourdough crackers, available at Waitrose, Tesco, Sainsbury's, Morrisons, Ocado, Amazon and specialist food retailers.
1: This week on a slice of cheese, we're looking at family cheese businesses. And I'm very happy to have with me today, all the way from California, from Sonoma, California, to be exact, Chiki and Gabe Vela of Vela Cheese. Chiki is the CEO. Gabe is a cheesemaker, but I think I say many other things, I'm sure he's going to tell me. So hi, guys. How are you? Hi, Jenny. Hello, hi. How Jenny. are you? How's it going today? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. It's really lovely. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me. I was very interested in this idea, actually, of family businesses and how they work and are passed down. You've got such wonderful Perhaps, Chiki, you could tell us the story of Vela Cheese.
4: Well, it's kind of a lengthy story, so I'll try to make it... <laughs> Let's see.
1: Um, we've, uh,
4: my grandfather, who was an immigrant from Sicily, came here to Sonoma in um, about 1922, and his brother was in the cheese business in Sonoma, so my grandfather got into it also, um, working with his brother at Sonoma Mission Creamery and then my grandfather broke off and started a business with chelso viviani who was another gentleman who worked at sonoma mission creamery and they started together in this the building that we're still in so that was in 1931 so it'll be 92 years in november that we've been in business and um chelso my grandfather stayed partners until about 1948 And then they parted ways and they both stayed in the cheese business, but kind of went in um, different directions. So then my father uh, went off because, you know, my grandfather was an immigrant, so everybody had to go to college. So my father went to college, uh, graduated with a degree in history and then came back and started working at Bella Cheese. But being Italian and a typical uh, family business, they did not always get along.
1: i was going to ask about
4: that it was not not pretty and we lived growing up uh we lived just a few blocks from my grandparents so my father and my grandfather would have what my father would do what my mother always referred to to as the yearly quit and that was in june (laughs) it always took place in june and my father would come home and he will have quit and then my grandmother will come over and she would cry and oh. then my father would go back to work.
5: <laughs>
1: wow. Gosh, then prish- no so, prish- no, yeah. <laughs> Very interesting. So when
4: you were in the sixties, he did quit and he meant it and it stuck. Uh-huh. And he left here and was gone for about fifteen years. Gosh. But always kept all of his licenses and all of that kind of stuff viable. And was always interested in the cheese business, but every time he and my grandfather got together
1: over it, it just blew up. Right. So, just, uh, can I just ask what was the blowing up to do with their personality or their different visions of how they wanted to take it? Was it you know were they business arguments or or temperament well, my arguments My
4: grandfather, I would say that it was just a difference of the way that they were. My grandfather was a, a true businessman, and mm-hmm. when he had a partner with Chelsea, partnership with Chelsea, Chelsea was a cheesemaker. And my grandfather did the whole business end of everything. Right. And my father came in and my father was a cheesemaker. He really is responsible for what we are today uh-huh. as far as our quality and our consistency and developing new recipes and all of that. My grandfather, you know, being an immigrant, just wanted to expand and have things and buy things. And sure. um, so which is why we then moved into Oregon, you know, moved into another state. So we had cheese factories in a couple states. So he was—he was had a whole different vision than my father. Yeah, and I don't yeah. think that they really uh, chose to understand the fact that you know they could be different.
1: Right. That's interesting. But,
4: so it was always very, very volatile.
1: Growing up with that sort of, you know, dramatic stormy atmosphere, <laughs> did, did you sort of think, oh, I really want to join this family? Well, you know, like I
4: tell people, I, I really am not sure how I ended up here because, no, it was never like, oh, I'm going to grow up and go to work there. That was <laughs> never, never, never the plan. But, you know, what they say about best laid plans. So Absolutely. it kind of yeah. it went south at some point, and I've probably been here for about, I don't know, close to 40 years. Gosh. So, but I did have, I had I started out as a part-time person and worked in the restaurant industry for a long, for many years, 20-something Right. Years. I, I, think,
5: I think overall, that's one of the traditions in our family is that you don't necessarily think you're going to work here long-term, but everyone kind of tested out in their younger years. You have a summer job, you do a little high school, after school work, you know, part-time. And then yeah. before you know it, you, you you find out that you're working here for your career. <laughs> Is that what happened for
1: you, Gabe? Is that autobiographical?
5: <laughs> yeah, that was a little autobiographical there. Exactly. That's kind of how it happened for me. I went through some of the same same things. Never really envisioned. I mean, always had an interest in it, and obviously worked here a bit when I was younger. But um, wasn't until uh, yeah later on when, that I that I came back here. But yeah, when I was when I was you know in my. High school and 20s, I didn't wasn't really sure that I wanted to uh, to do this with my career. You know, I thought right. I was going to go off and, and do something different, and make something of my own.
4: Yeah, my daughter was the same way. She went to <laughs> she went to culinary school and became a pastry chef and oh. in restaurants, and then and now she's here too. So right, um, I, I, she I, here in high school went away, did
1: all of that, and then came back.
5: I think the yeah. line is, just when you think you're out, it pulls you back in.
1: It's <laughs> <laughs> so fascinating. What So, so your, your stormy, the stormy relationship between your grandfather and your father, but the business, what carried on, so your father goes away, but, but Vela Cheese carries on, and then...
4: Oh, absolutely. So, we yeah. always had a head cheesemaker, and mm-hmm. it was not my father.
1: Right, you know, I see. That's interesting. My grandfather
4: always had somebody else who was... In charge, so to speak, in the back, because my grand- my father was coming and going quite a bit.
5: But, but Mike, the big thing was, is that Ig, her father, my grandfather Ignacio, mm-hmm. um, did come back in the eighties. He came back yeah. in around what year? Eighty. Uh,
4: about eighty one.
5: Eighty one right. or so is when he he came, he came back, out. and that's really where our our what how Cheese is known today. Okay, is really but we mattered. should talk
1: about that because we haven't really. Yeah. So perhaps we should perhaps give <laughs> you the. Cheesemaker, I know you do many other things, and yeah. I'm guessing that's also part of a family business that you do lots <laughs> of things, wear many hats. So tell us about the cheese. Tell us what the cheeses that you make, because I'm afraid I haven't tried them. Um, <laughs> I'd love to, to know what about them.
5: Yes, I know a lot of our cheeses don't necessarily make it um, outside of the United States as often, or it's a little bit more exclusive when they do. And I know some have made it into yeah. London a bit and and places like that, but. Um, but we make um, more of kind of across American style and, and Italian style cheeses. Mm-hmm. So we do um, Monterey Jacks and flavored Monterey Jacks. And then an, a, a dry aged version of the Monterey Jack is what we're known so for. Dry Monterey.
1: So Monterey Jacks not really a cheese we get in the UK. Could you, right. it, it's a cow's milk cheese, is it? Could you describe it
5: yeah. to me? Well, so yeah. it's a softer um, cow's milk cheese, um, slightly firm. That's typically done um, with a few different flavors added to it, garlic mm-hmm. or basil um, and garlic or even jalapenos are quite popular in Northern mm. California, things like that. So it's more, yeah, yeah it's definitely more of an American cheese and known as, um, you know, pepper jack in a lot of places. Ah, things like okay. that. Yeah.
4: Right. It's actually the only cheese that originated in California.
5: Mm.
1: Oh, isn't that interesting?
5: Gosh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's from Monterey.
1: Oh, okay. That makes total sense. Yes. yes. And, and is it a cheese that is it used in cooking? Was it eating cheese? Was it both of those things? But Oh, we have to say it's both. Yeah. Yes,
4: definitely yeah, definitely. A, both. Cheese a lot of
5: eating, but, but a lot of cooking and very popular in most all um, dishes, um, you know, American dishes that's around right. California. And yeah, so it's a lot in like quesadillas or used on oh. burgers. Mm-hmm. That yeah. type of cheese, yeah, it's it's right. it's a little bit not your not what a lot of people typically think of American cheese as kind of the the orange plastic craft single. It's a yes. it's an actual it's a softer white cheese that melts really well. So nice, almost along the lines of it's towards like a mozzarella. Okay, well, that's interesting,
1: right. Right, right? right. And so you mentioned earlier, Chicky, that it was your, you know, your father's standards, his interest in cheese making. that's really shaped the company. You said that too, Gabe. What? So, mm. so what was it that your, did your father? Um, it, it, yes. Did he? What did he do? What did he bring to the, to the cheesemaking? He
4: developed a lot of our cheeses. He developed like we do a secco because our. Our main uh, flagship cheese, as we say, is the dry Monterey Jack, which is an aged version of Monterey Jack. And right. it originated in World War One when you couldn't get any imports.
5: Imported Parmesan. Parmesan.
4: And so oh, it's an American
1: mm. copy of Parmesan. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's fascinating. Mm. right? right the Minnesota Minnesota.
4: Has a coating. Ours has a coating on the outside uh, to help the drying out process. And it's not made in as large wheels as Parmesan. It's only made in about an eight pound wheel. Right. So, How long do you age it for? Uh, well, the, a minimum of seven months and up to about four years, mm. depending. And we That's have long three long different long. ages Gosh, of it. And then my it. father developed, that was a very common cheese in this area of Northern California, a lot of Italians here. And there were probably about 40 or 50 cheese factories making it uh, over time. And everybody uh, has stopped because it's very labor-intensive. You have to have a lot of space for it because you have to yeah. age it for so long. So there's only us and one other company now in California that make it. Gosh, you and... really maintaining a
1: tradition. That's interesting. Yes. Isn't yes, it?
4: It's Absolutely. a very
5: European-style cheese um, right. using hand-rolled techniques and cheesecloths and aged on wooden racks right. and really cared for in that seven months to a year. So, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's a... Very un-American style cheese yeah. nowadays.
1: <laughs> that is really interesting. I mean, obviously, and obviously, when you're tying up, you know, your money for that length of time, that's quite yes, an issue, yes. isn't it? For you know, you have to have a, yes, yes. you have to have other cheeses, yes. I presume, that you can sell younger in order to get some, you know, some cash flow right. through the business. Which
4: is why we have the like the high moisture jack and and toma and then. Italian, some other Italian type cheeses that we make that um, are available, that are younger. So that we have, but at the end of the day, it is definitely the dry Monterey Jack that is the reason why we're here. It's really what we are, have become known for over, over time. And then my father developed a um, mezzo secco, which in Italian means half dry. So Mm -hmm. it's not as, um, it's not as dry. It doesn't dry out as much as the dry Monterey Jack. So it's a little higher in fat little different flavor but it's always sliceable and uh it's that's become very very popular also because it pairs with so much wine obviously because of where we are yes good point <laughs> yes that's a
1: very good point isn't it yes gosh that's fascinating and that italian heritage that is italian american cuisine i think thinking of your sort of family history do you, do you Stay in touch with your Italian roots. Do you you'd be going back to Sicily to meet family there? Or uh,
4: Gabe has, has gone and met um, family yeah, in Sicily. I, I, I haven't. Yes,
5: I did actually on my on my honeymoon about thirteen years ago. I did. Yes, I was lucky enough to do
1: uh, travels through
5: Italy, and we spent uh, we spent a couple of weeks in Sicily and kind of tracing my great grandfather's roots, where the town that he came from, Gosh. and looked up my grandfather's cousin. Yeah. Was able to find her, which yeah, it was Amazing. in 2010. It was a little tough using, you know, it wasn't this. I had to get a cell phone once I was over there, and I had to mail her a postcard with my cell phone number right <laughs> at the beginning of the trip, then she could get in touch with me. And then yeah. the language barrier was a little tough too. My my little bit of California Spanish does not translate yeah. to Italian. Italian. Yes, yeah, especially Sicilian, which is a different. Yeah, so. Yes, through yeah. all that though, yes, we were able to find them. In, uh, the even, uh, so right. in the town of Lakata or even Somatino, the town of Somatino, where they were at, and then they took us over to the town of Lakata, which was where my great grandfather was raised, and could see uh, the you know kind of check out the town that he grew up in, yeah. and the story of the of the graveyard by the sea where my great great-great, great my great great grandparents were Don't at you. and saw that and everything. And then, and then of course went and checked out Palermo, right? Where he sailed uh, yes.
1: out. yeah, that's yeah. The
4: port Nice. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my my he went back quite a bit. He and my grandmother went every other year to Italy and he was very much in touch with his, my grandfather, with his sibling, with his ah, um, right. siblings that were still there and some have been here. And then I have an aunt in New York, my father's youngest sister, And um, she's in touch with them a lot with the Italian side. So yes, you know we've met them, and not as not as close as it would be nice to be, but Mm -hmm. you know there is a bit of a language barrier for most of us. Yes, yes, and
5: a lot of social media (laughs) has definitely opened up a lot of doors. And since I went there and met my cousins in person. And some of my second cousins, the kids, and everything. Now we yeah. we exchange a lot of pictures and stuff on social media. Yeah, I do the
1: same. Stuff. I've got um, yeah.
5: family around the world in Australia, yeah. and Singapore, and Italy, and Germany. And
1: WhatsApp yeah. is great because you can just send little messages. Yeah. You know, it's very right. very nice, isn't it? I mean, I suppose I was just thinking about you know family and that your family history. And do you think? And that you, you know, do, Gabe, you know, your are carrying on tradition. Chicky, you you know you despite all that storminess that you saw as a, as a, as a child you you know you're still there so is there is there an attachment is there an emotional attachment to Vela cheese that you feel you know a sense of pride and belonging
5: oh definitely definitely I think that's that's what's kept us going what's kept us here for for 90 years and kept you know definitely yeah. I think I'm, I mean I'll speak for myself but me and I, I I think my mom and even what I see in my sister too is what Keeps us coming back here, either through even through the stormy weather. <laughs> right, is that's that interesting. We, do, we really do have a emotional attachment. Um, it's it's been in our blood, and we really feel a responsibility to want to um, keep it going, even for our grandfathers and great grandfathers who aren't even here anymore. Right, we mm, still, that's interesting. Um, well, the rest, of the, a lot of the rest of our family isn't involved in the business, but we still feel a responsibility to. Keep it carrying on for them too.
4: Yeah, but I, have, I do have a brother and a sister who had no interest in, so they're, um, so they they're not here. Their kids worked here a bit in high school and things like that, but they really didn't want anything to do with it. So we're the only ones who are crazy enough to, to, to continue. And we also have our fair share of a stormy relationship, yes. as I'm sure they do in every aspect of family business.
5: We don't We don't quite do a yearly quit. No, we don't know. do a yearly quit. No, <laughs> a few right? threats, a few, a few bail yeah. threats. But we, have, yeah. but we have done that, yes. <laughs> that
1: is really interesting. I mean, it's so interesting because it's like, you know, the phrase family business sounds in a way so lovely, you know. Like, oh, and yeah. it's a great <laughs> story. Everybody's yes. like, oh, you're in a family it's, business. <laughs> it's a great
5: story.
1: <laughs> know, and then, And then the reality is, you know, and especially and the pressures, you know. I mean, and yeah. so – and obviously, Villa cheese—you know—with this very long history. I mean, that is mm. something to be very proud of, isn't it? That's been sustained. That your your generations, your family have have you know created yeah. this, kept it going. You're making it, and and is that you must be well known. I mean, in the your, in the your area cheese area. must be very well known in mm.
5: in the area. Yeah, the big in, following. And in
4: the cheese world, yes, and
5: yeah. and the world of artisan cheese, and particularly, yeah, I mean, that was what. You know, going back to my grandfather, her father, Ignacio Ig, he was really in the forefront of um, artisan cheese, the small batch, hands-on artisan cheese making um, in California and really the United States and really mm. uh, artisan cheese making being recognized in the rest of the world that the United States can actually make some pretty good cheeses because obviously we we kind of got known for American cheese plastic. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or single, you know. So it was. It was really in the eighties that that started coming on more of 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 finding um, these small American cheese factories that really made high quality cheeses. And so yeah, Ig was really in the forefront of that.
1: That's interesting, and presumably, um, you know, chefs have responded to that. I mean, it's Well, think, well, well yeah. Say, yeah. Is that right? Because in Britain, that's certainly oh, what's absolutely. happening. Yeah. Yeah. They're yeah, interested. Yeah. You know, they want locally made cheeses. They want cheeses. Yeah, from their area. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, good piece. Yeah, to use and, and yeah, it sounds like you can. Do
4: have, we do have a lot of customers who come in who have been here for years, or in some cases in Sonoma because it is a small town, for generations. You know, it's like they used to come here as kids, or their kids used to come here as kids, yeah. and they do. We get a lot of people thanking us. Oh, for, that's for continuing to be here, and we have a lot of people who come in and ask, you know, is it still a family business? Is it still family owned? And so. You Know every time that you think you're going to quit, it's like you kind of feel an obligation, <laughs> even so you're very
1: loyal, like my rears raises head. Exactly, and exactly.
4: Uh, and we do yeah. have so many loyal local customers that, yeah, I, I would feel bad. I, I would yeah. feel like I'd let them down.
5: We you still say, are quite, quite unique in that sense that you can still come into the actual cheese factory, we have a small little shop in the front of the house. You can come in, taste the cheese, it's being made right in the back. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if you're lucky, you can get a small tour, be able to actually see it being made, but you know, people are always so surprised that it's actually all happening right here and they're able to walk in and, and taste it and see it being made, you know, all in the same spot. So it's really a pretty become a, a unique thing in this day and age, particularly in the United States.
1: Yeah, interesting. <laughs> and do you think so? Gabe, is there a generation beyond you who, you know, that you would hope to pass the
5: baton on to? Yeah. So there I, I, um, I have two kids. I have a 11-year-old son and an 8-year-old daughter. Um, my son is uh, Gaetano uh, uh-huh. Luddy. He's named after my great-grandfather um, Gaetano Tano or Tom Vela. Oh, yes. He yes. Once he came yeah. through Ellis Island. But so, yes, I, he was named after our founder and... Um, yeah. The First generation of the Vela Cheese family. So Tano is our fifth generation. It's amazing. She's family. And then I have a daughter, Aria. Bloody, she's eight. And then my sister, Miranda, who is our office manager, she just has um, two twin baby girls. Oh, congratulations. So a little over a year old now Abby, Abigail, and Isabella. Abby and Bella.
4: And they,
5: that's why she's not here. Yes. I <laughs> she's
1: busy. Yes.
4: So,
5: yeah. so they are the fifth generation that the legend in our family goes is that my great-grandfather wanted to see everything set up. Everything that he built to last for five generations. Oh, so yeah, we have to we have weird. to get it through to them. We just So, yes, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> so you're indoctrinating you them. The do you take them, do you do you feed them, you know, feed them your cheese, do you oh, take them around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've
5: all been raised on the cheese. They have their favorites. They've yeah. all come in and started doing little They're jobs here. around here they come in and what say some of the same jobs i had when i was a kid stickering boxes or yeah. shredding paper or you know taking <laughs> out, out the garbage yes things,
1: All the glamorous things like that. yeah, yeah. <laughs> excellent so in fact we should then what so you know in a way we have talked about sort of some of the difficulties but what what are the nice right. bits of it being a family business what's the hmm. bit Chicky, I should come to you with that first. What, yeah. what, you know, what's what's the nice side of it being family? Well, it is. Uh, it is nice when um, you know to know that you're working
4: with. In my case, you're working with your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a somewhat volatile relationship. Not not as nearly as volatile as my grandfather and my father. But my father and I would, you know, we would go at it. I'd have to say, yeah, we definitely had differences of opinion. But he, unlike my grandfather, was uh, at least able to listen to another side. Right. So, you know, he would he definitely would let you have your say so. And uh, so so that, you know, that was nice. And I did enjoy working with my father, um, as crazy as that sounds. Um, There were good days and bad days, but. Uh, You know, I learned I learned a lot from him and and a lot about him, I would have to say from, you know, from working with him. And it's the same with your kids. You know, you learn you you see your children in a whole different light than you do, particularly as adults. You know, now yeah. they're both in their 40s. I'm going to give you away. <laughs> and um, hey, what's she done? No, <laughs> so, you know, yeah. that oh, that, you know, absolutely drove me insane. Yeah, he really can make some sense. And, you know, my um, daughter, she figures out milk reports and, and things like that. And I remember struggling to get her through math. So, yeah. oh, uh, so That's it's nice to be able to know them as, as adults and yes. you know, as parents and and things like that in a daily occurring
1: situation. Yeah. So, what you, gave what would you, what are the nice bits about you being a family
5: business? <laughs> wow, she said so many nice things about me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <There> you good? <laughs> it, it really is. I mean, I'll have to echo a lot of that same sentiment. It really is special to be able to interact with your family, the good and the bad, but on a daily basis and kind of in. You know, yeah, work situations. And there are stressful times, but there's also great, you know, happy times. So yeah. you you get kind of both sides of that. And um, yeah, I think just my my other experience in working was in restaurants when uh-huh. I was younger. But you know, most people I think can relate to that you kind of have, you know, jokes are about work wives or work husbands. You have coworkers that you do spend so much time with, yeah. you really get close to, and you have different relationships with them. So it's, it is pretty special that we get to have that relationship um, at work that we develop. And I think we're pretty good a lot of times, on most of the time sometimes um, about separating that we also have our, our out of work relationship right. with yeah. our family that I really think sometimes our work relationship can strengthen that one that we can know, you know, when we're out of work, let's separate, let's try not to carry the work into our weekends or our, mm family vacation that we just were lucky enough. I mean, we're, we must be doing something right. We still want to take a vacation with each other. (laughs) Yes, I noticed that's very impressive. So
1: yeah, that
5: is is a real tribute. Yeah. Yeah. But overall, I mean, I have to say, I mean, that's the family part of the family that's here that I'm working with. But we also spoke a bit about, you know, kind of the generations and the family that started it that aren't here. Um, I do feel a real uh, responsibility or connection or passion to the mm. business. It's not just a job, right? right. I, really, I really care about the, the direction and the future of the company and, and having something to pass on to my kids or even just our reputation. And it yeah. really isn't about the money. I mean, I was just no, thinking about that one this. the other I'm, day. I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean, I realized yeah. sometimes you just, you go so long. and sometimes you think about. It, it's like, it's, I'm not even thinking about the money. It's, and that's, I think one of the most special things that you could work for is not to be working for money, but be working for something you really care about. And that's, that's, that's an exciting every sure. day.
1: Yeah, oh, wonderful. Well, that is very <laughs> inspiring. Oh, well, listen, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to talk to me. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. It was awesome. you feel what you to yes. hear <laughs> that. Thank you so much. Take care then. Bye-bye. Thank, thank, thank you, Have
5: you. a good
1: one. Bye-bye.
0: Online, on smart speakers, and on Listen Again, this is Food FM.
1: I'm very happy to be with me today, all the way from Cumbria, farmer Mark Lee of Park Coast Farm, who's noted for his Trepenna Farmhouse Dairy. That's the cheese-making side of your business. Hello, Mark. Hi, Jenny. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time because I know how busy farmers are. I'm sort of exploring this idea, really, of family businesses. And I was thinking that, you know, a lot of cheese businesses are family run and a lot of them are on farms and farm businesses are often family businesses. And I was thinking... That's also partly because you've got your labor pool you, have, you know it's a commitment isn't it that <laughs> you have your your labor around you and your, the form of your family And I was, is that do you think that's true? Yeah,
6: yeah I think there's, there's there's several things really there's there's the history uh, a lot of farms that are family cheesemakers have the history of making cheese on the farm. There's obviously <laughs> the uh, the cheaper labor which helps. <laughs> uh, and there's also yeah, there's there's that sort of that really hard bit for us in the cheese industry at the moment is not really having the skill set out there of people that understand how to how to make cheese, uh, and if you can home grow your, your skill set, then that's also an added benefit. That's interesting. So in fact, we should tell the listeners a little
1: bit about the story because it's a really interesting transition that you and your wife Jenny have made on the farm. So it was it was. Jenny's family's farm is that correct?
6: That's right uh, this is the we're the we're the fourth generation um, to to a farm a park house in Trepenna uh, which is just on the edge of the northern fells of the Lake District. Uh, Jen and I moved here uh, 10 years ago so um, I, I'd been in the British Army. Jen was a primary school teacher but Jenny, Jenny had grown up on the farm and had loved farming for for all our days really and uh, the opportunity came uh, back in 2012 to, to move back so we thought how hard can it be and 10 years <laughs> 10 years later and about 20 years aged we uh, we do realize how hard it is uh so yeah that's that that was where we started out when the opportunity came up when jen's brother said he didn't want to be a dairy farmer anymore like uh, a lot of people are saying now he he yes. seen the light and uh, yeah, we decided that we would uh, we would give it a go. And you know, it's a beautiful place for our young two young girls to grow up. Mm. We we'd uh, we'd try and make it a success.
1: And as you just touched on, you know, dairy farming is not easy. It's very challenging for many reasons, including economic ones. What could you just talk us through what what happened? So you you you, you know, very new to you, Mark, and then but Jenny with some knowledge with knowledge of farming. So you took it on. You started dairy farming. Was it just very very difficult? I mean, very hard work.
6: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, my background isn't in farming. I was, I was a British Army officer, um, and I basically played a lot of professional rugby as well. But in that time, I'd uh, qualified up to be a solicitor as well. Uh, Jen, Jen had uh, grown up on the farm, and we'd met at Newcastle University where she was studying agriculture as a degree. and And she'd been a buyer, a purchaser for a for an agricultural company and and latterly as a primary school teacher, so you know that there was no sort of immediate skill set there as as dairy farmers. Um, we do have a herdsman who's been here for now for over forty years, and Jen's uh, Jen's dad also uh, has has been there for the transition. At the time, the the farm was um, well, it's 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 three hundred and fifty acres uh, of of good pasture uh, and and some ancient woodland. Uh, and we were we were a pedigree holstein herd um, which was mainly housed. When we moved back there was another family to feed so we made the decision to fully house the cows. Um, the Holstein cows as many many listeners will know are, are high producing cows so they, they're, they're producing up to 50 60 liters of milk a day uh, but the quality of the milk obviously isn't as good as, as other breeds. And we were importing a lot of feed from all around the world. So we, we we were dragging in soya from South America, we were dragging wheat in from Europe, you know, there was there was a lot of waste product going into the cows to keep their energy up for them to to, to produce to such a high extent. And in twenty about twenty fifteen, I think there was a price crash where it was costing us twenty eight pence a litre to produce the milk. And our processor was paying us fifteen pence for, for about Goodness. two or three months. So it didn't take us long to realise that wasn't going to work. So we had to look around at what other people were doing and uh, and try and save the farm or save the dairy farm as it was. Mm. Um, So, yeah, we did a lot of looking around and we visited a lot of farms and we spoke to a lot of people and we we hit upon the idea that we would almost revert to how Jenny's granddad had farmed the farm and became a, a grazing springbok carving herd right uh, where we rotationally graze the cows around the paddock to reduce the input and then uh, yeah it's it's gone from there so that happened in about 2015 2016 with the farming system really
1: wow that's a big big change and you mentioned Jenny's father did, was he sort of brought in how did that was he consulted about this move because it's quite a shift isn't it in what you were doing or was it just up to you guys
6: yeah <laughs> Well, Jen's, Jen's dad's really really forward-thinking, we think anyway, and he's uh, he's allowed yeah. us to uh, make some big changes. They, uh, Jen's mum and dad were obviously consulted because we farm in partnership with them, but um, yeah. it was it was one of those moments where you, you're staring down a bit of a barrel of a gun and you've, you've got to make a decision mm. with the information that you've got. So uh, the way we did it, actually, was we, we took our Holstein herd, which uh, Tom the herdsman had been breeding for 15, 20 years, uh, to H&H in uh, Carl and we sold them all on a big uh, herd dispersal which was you know an emotional day for everyone involved if anybody's sure. been through that it's uh it's a hard time for a, a farm to do mm. it's a hard thing thing to do and it's it's uh, it's a big day but with the with the funds that we raised there we went to southern ireland and we bought a herd of jersey cross friesian cows which um, was the main thing when we we spoke to a lot of farmers um, before we made the transition, the, the main thing they said to us is if you're going to be a grazing herd, you've got to have the right animals. Right. So that was the, the main uh, learning point from all those visits and all those chats on the phone with people. Yeah. So we bought a Jersey Friesian Cross uh, herd from Southern Ireland and, and we started from there.
1: And were you thinking of cheesemaking at that point? So... Was the you know was that part of the grazing? Was the idea of adding value to this you know this lovely milk you were hoping to produce? Were you were you was that with cheese you know as one of the goals?
6: Well, initially it wasn't uh, Jenny. So the the initial goal was to to make sure that we survived financially, uh, yeah, by reducing our inputs and, right. and utilizing more of our own feed. But that that takes us on to the sort of second side of the story in that. Um, we, we set the farm up to be a grazing farm, so we set up 40 smaller paddocks from the large silage fields that we had. And we noticed that the cows were grazing the hedgerows more than the grass. We had single-species uh, Italian ryegrass fields, which is great oh. for making large amounts of silage, but not particularly great for the diversity of feed that uh, grazing cows need. Mm. Um, so what we did was we employed an agronomist to help us improve our pastures um, what we hadn't appreciated too well at the time was that agronomists make a lot of their money from selling chemicals uh, so we were spraying a lot of chemicals on our land to try oh, and that's, improve yes. the, the, the grassland Yeah. and our sprayer, uh, we sprayed one field in particular which we describe as our light bulb moment and our sprayer was blocked in a couple of nozzles and we striped the field. Uh, we, we sprayed a field actually with uh, roundup which I think most people will know of or heard of. Yes um, yep. and uh, it was to get rid of a, a, a weed in commas called a uh, fat hen which mm. we were told would take up about five to ten percent of our productive land. So we sprayed the, we sprayed the field with roundup, uh, striped it and then a month later uh, because apparently it's safe to graze after a month. Uh, we, we grazed the cows and they were grazing in straight lines, they were grazing <laughs> in perfectly straight lines and then walking over 11 metres of lush grass and grazing perfectly straight lines again, which sort of opened our m- minds to thinking, what, what are we doing? So they, they uh, were we seeking of- out
1: the non-sprayed grass, basically, weren't they? Is that right? They were, yeah. Amazing. Gosh, that must have looked
6: quite remarkable. It, yeah. Yeah, It was, and they were basically looking for diversity. So we'd done a couple of things. We'd we'd changed the Holstein herd, which is, you know, one one breed of cow, Mm -hmm. intensely bred, and we'd got some diversity into the herd. And then from this sort of light bulb moment, we decided that we wouldn't have a uniform uh, crop in the field, and we'd make sure there was a lot of diversity in the in the paddock as well for the cows to eat. So, we we read we read lots and lots. You know, uh Rachel Carson was an obvious starting point mm. for us with Silent Spring. Yes, uh, we watched a lot yeah. on YouTube. We, we we read a lot of American authors actually who seem to be real real leaders in this field.
0: Yeah, and we read
6: back as well. We read some old uh, old uh, books. Mm -hmm. written by Newman Terman, Fertility Pastures and Fertility Farming. Um, And they were written in the 1950s when the UK was going through some uh, sort of decision process on a national level, whether to go through uh, to a chemical farming process or to utilize pasture in, a, mm. in an organic way and newman turner was was arguing for the the pasture rotational management side of things so right. a lot of his books and his uh, his writings were really influential into the way we were we we, we started to farm then uh and we went uh, we went organic overnight I mean, now we were we did uh, we didn't um, Become certified overnight. Yeah, we, we takes time. we started yeah. farming organically overnight. We stopped everything. We stopped chemical fertilizers. We stopped herbicides. We stopped pesticides. And the result of that was our our yield crashed massively for for about two years.
1: Gosh, thanks. So that's very. Uh, let's just pause there. That's that sounds very scary. That must have been. I mean, so it must have been tough, tough times. And what? So you then get you getting much less money for your from your yeah, head.
6: Yeah, I mean, forty yeah. percent we down on yield. Um, wow and I think if we if we if we converted to organic farming just for the monetary side of it we would have we would have gone back to farming conventionally um, yeah with chemicals but because we'd done all this reading mm-hmm. uh, and, and we believed in what we were doing then we we stuck with it and actually what happened was uh, when we started sowing in these uh, clovers and mm. legume rich uh, pastures, they started uh, blooming after the third year, fourth year we were we were producing as much as we were when there was 100 tonnes of fertiliser put on the area. And in the Gosh. fifth year, we were, we were really flying. So yeah. nothing happens quickly in farming. Uh, or well in nature, said. Suppose. True. Nothing yes. Very
1: good quickly. point. So, yeah.
6: um, and that, you know, that, that rings true to to good food as well. You know, you can't get something yes. nice very quickly. Things always very take true. time.
1: Yes.
6: Um, so, we you know, we, we, we became organic and we did get our organic certification two years later. But none of the organic uh, processors, uh, milk processors, would pick our milk up this far north and west, unfortunately. So, our lovely, rich, creamy milk that was organic was getting picked up in the same milk tank as every other farm around here, and and we we felt that we needed to add value. Um, we felt that you know our milk was worth more because it was. Uh, so we invited Kathy Biss from the West Highland Dairy down. Uh, to come and make cheese with us for a week, and she showed us in our own kitchen how to make cheese with our milk.
1: When when Valley. did you start making
6: cheese then? How long? So did? yeah, we we invited Kathy down in early 2019, I think it was right. Uh, maybe late 2018, early 2019. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we we started making cheese then. Uh, we didn't have anywhere to make it. We had to invest quite heavily as people. That are listening probably understand. There's there's a lot of investment in making sure that you've got uh, facilities and equipment up to the standards that the EHO require. Mm. Um, so we we bought a lot of stuff. And we we took out loans and we we built uh, we built a cheese making area opposite the farmhouse. A lot of the, when yeah. I've spoken to cheesemakers,
1: often they've talked to cheesemongers when they're trying to you know farmers who are trying to are looking into cheese reach out to cheesemongers to see, you know, to get advice on. Did, did you do that? Did you guys do that
6: too? Yeah, Jenny, the first, the first, actually one of the very first uh, people that we spoke to were Neil's Yard Dairy.
1: Ah, oh, yes. And
6: uh, we were invited down to a, a conference, a farmer's conference with them. Uh, mm-hmm. This is back in 2019, I think, where we were sat in a room with some of the best cheesemakers in the UK. Yes. Uh, yeah. Listening to their stories and that was really powerful and it was a really mm. good thing to to be involved in and we shared over over sort of ten hours we 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 picked their brains and, and listened to them and went back yeah. and made some cheese and everything seemed to be working and uh, we 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 reached out to Andy Swinsco at the Courtyard Dairy oh he's brilliant Andy yes various various other people and we we were really we were really keen to get out there and speak to as many people as we could. Um, but by the time we felt like we could with our cheese that was March 2020 yes. the whole world shut down um, yeah so all of those options became sort of not yeah. possible for us because yeah. I think the industry was trying to look after the guys that were making cheese on a commercial scale and it was really hard for them obviously to promote a new cheese maker who had never made cheese before we'd, we'd never produced anything that was yeah, it was very saleable. demanding
1: times absolutely uh, yeah, yeah. yeah
6: so so what we did was we we had the village whatsapp groups around here that everybody probably uh realizes were with a lifeline to to many people and we we just asked if anybody would like some some uh cheese made on farm and mm-hmm. we were delivering house to house uh, throughout the pandemic and right the most important thing was we got reorders <laughs> very so good we, we and what sort of people cheese ordered did you again start, start making them. <laughs> so you've been shown yeah
1: you start with one one cheese in particular
6: we did actually we we started with uh, we started with a hard cheddar style cheese mm-hmm. um, and we started with that because you know, we 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 were told uh, by several other people we were speaking to that you know we could spend a bit of time maturing it in the store. We could taste it, and it was uh it it was probably a safer option for us um so anyway we started with this uh with this cheddar style cheese which are now called park house right uh and it uh it was yeah it was tasty it was tasty after three or four months and mm. uh, people were buying it i think there was a lot of local support and we had a huge round by the end of the pandemic we were delivering to a lot of houses and uh you know it was quite monotonous because you had to disinfect your hand and close the gate oh, and do it for yeah, every yeah. single hell. But that that turned round to us opening an honesty shop at the end of our farm lawn uh for people to come and get their own cheese. Uh, and that saved us the 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 effort and the time of, of delivering to people's doorsteps. But it was a real it, it was a real affirmation, I suppose, initially that people would reorder our cheese. And it was that yeah, it was that it was that cheddar initially. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it was it was cheddar and a, and a blue cheese that we started out with, with our, our our first our first efforts. And as everybody that makes cheese in the room knows, what what ended up happening was our cheddar started going blue, and our blue <laughs> cheese wasn't particularly blue. So um, we had to make some refinements and, and change some of the our processes and all the rest of it. But that was all a good learning technique.
1: And do you think sort of going back to the the family idea, so? So Jenny's parents, you said, have been very open-minded and supportive. And were they interested in the, the cheese? I mean, there must be something very satisfying about if you've gone to all that trouble to create good milk, then be able to turn that good milk into good cheese and see people enjoy it. That must be a particular satisfaction.
6: It's oh, huge. It wasn't until sort of late 2021, uh, so almost two years after we'd made the plunge into the cheese world, that we were able to really go to markets. The mm. farmers markets and uh, watch people eat our cheese <laughs> yeah <laughs> sounds a bit strange but that's that's the biggest feedback you can get because people's face often don't, don't lie yeah uh, and so it, particularly children actually so if children yes. to some of cheese, <laughs> they'll <laughs> actually tell you whether they spit it out you know it's probably not to their taste yeah um, so the the public feedback uh, was hugely important but it is. It's a, it's a sense of pride. It's a sense of real achievement. And we now say that if anybody has produced anything that's edible, we don't care whether it's good or bad. It's a huge achievement because mm. the loops you have to jump through to get to that stage of it being a saleable product are, are huge. And uh, it's yeah. a real achievement. Fortunately, we've we've managed to produce some, uh, some cheese that's more than... Well you've just, done really uh, well haven't
1: thing. you? You've won uh, you've won awards you know as, as very young you know you're new to the cheese making world, but you've been doing well haven't you?
6: Yeah we've um, we've we've had several affirmations like I said and and you know we won a silver medal at the World Cheese Awards for that cheddar. Brilliant. Um, we've won awards, gold medals at the ICDA. Um, we we entered the Yorkshire Yorkshire Show last year, won gold and silver medals, and the Somerset Somerset Show. So yeah, we've we've entered, and and the virtual cheese awards was a sort of mainstay for us for for two or three years because you couldn't show anything, could you, through the pandemic? Yeah. So, yeah, yes. we've, won, we've won awards through there and, and actually the virtual cheese awards was really interesting because you got to see the judges actually taste it and grade the cheese in front of you which for ah. a, a new young cheese making operation like ourselves was really invaluable yes so yeah mm-hmm. we um we 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 felt that we had to get our name out there and, and by entering awards and winning them we, we feel that we probably have ticked some of those boxes. Well, exactly.
1: It's quite a, you know, it's quite a competitive, you know, there are a lot of cheese in Britain. So, yes. So you talked about your children and, you know, how you want them to grow up in this beautiful bit of the world. And how do they like the cheeses? Do they enjoy the the cheese making side of of your business?
6: Yeah, we we all love cheese in the family. So that was a a (laughs) theme that started off. I mean, why would you want to make something that you love uh, from your own product? So, I think the girls really, really get and understand the process of producing great cheese from grass. And it is just purely from grass because in 2021 we stopped buying in any grains or any soya or any excess Mm. feed uh, and we became 100% pasture fed. Right. Gosh. So that's another sort of uh, theme that runs through our farming is with the at the moment, unfortunately, we're the only certified 100% pasture-fed dairy herd in Cumbria, which is the hmm. second largest uh, milk field in the country. Golly. I think you know our our girls understand the importance of that what that means, and hopefully that that will continue on um, after our day. Hopefully, in in some ways, that's what we hope. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I I mean, being part of that pasture for life association community has been very important. Cows evolved to eat legumes and grasses and herbs, and they didn't really evolve to eat grains and soya and uh, waste products yeah. from the the drinks industry. Um. So we feel that that hundred percent pasture milk uh, gives gives our milk and our cheese that that real finesse and that, that real taste mm. that you can only get from, from pasture-fed animals.
1: And do you think being a family, you know, being in control, it was your farmers, your, you know, you and Jenny, with you know, together with her parents, you could make, you know, so it's not like a great big company, you're not having to get, you know, I don't know, persuade a whole board or get, you know, shareholders to buy a steak. You have the the ability to think this is a path we want to go down. Do you think that was... That was part of it, in a way, that you had the flexibility of being a, a family-run business.
6: Yeah, it was crucial. Uh, having having a, a small number of decision-makers is crucial when you're making big decisions in some ways like yeah. that. You know, we, we set up the cheese company for the farm to get extra value for its milk. And five years on, the cheese business is driving the farm. So it's almost changed. It's uh, flipped everything on its head. So decisions we're making in the cheese room are actually affecting what we're doing on the farm. When we're selling cheese at at a market, people will be asking us, "Oh, what do you do with your calves? Uh, mm. What do you do with your dairy calves?" Well, you know, we we take the calves when they're very young and we hand rear them, and the mothers go off and milk in the parlour. But we thought, well, how how can we make this different? Can we do this differently? So we set up a trial with uh, Harper Adams University and for two years we, uh, we reared calves and cows, which, you know, was a huge success uh, in terms of the health of the calf and the health of the cow. And uh, that data is just being processed at the moment and, you know, the, the benefits of that economically for us. Um, were that the, the calves were getting in calf quicker so that's less cost to the farming business because the calves are stronger and healthier and getting back in calf a lot quicker. So we're now looking at how we integrate that fully into our farming system, that calf on cow uh, setup. Right we are we're looking at planting a lot more wooded pasture so we we worked in in partnership with uh, the Cumbria Woodland, Community Forest and United Utilities, uh, who funded a project here, where we we were able to plant up forty-five acres of uh, pasture with with trees, um, and that's our plan to. Eventually, fully have the cows outside full time for three hundred and sixty-five days of the year, even in a wet, cold. climate. Ah, is that
1: Coward. because the trees offer shelter then, and from the
6: yeah, right. the trees, the trees will improve, improve uh, conditions on the foot. It'll improve soil health. It'll sequester a lot more carbon. Mm-hmm. So you know we've we've done that on a ten percent of the farm. Our aim is to increase that to thirty percent by the end of next year. Uh, with the ultimate aim of having 50% of the farm as wooded pasture. So, yeah, all, and, and, and these, you know, the reason for having the cows outside is uh, we, we feel that they'll graze outside, but we'll also graze them with hay bales. And what we were finding was at the start of the year, when the cows are inside on silage, milking on silage, the butter fats are quite weak. Uh-huh. So they're making a, a poorer uh, soft cheese for us. So we right. make a brie-style soft yes, cheese. Yes, I need Yeah. And that that's, uh, that doesn't hold together, that doesn't, that doesn't, yeah, it doesn't hold as strongly when the cows are inside on silage. But as soon as they're fed hay and as soon as they're outside, those butterfats seem to strengthen up somehow and hmm. it makes a much better soft cheese. So all of these sorts of things are being driven by the cheese company itself or the cheese making process. Yeah. And we think it's better for the farm as well.
1: Brilliant. Oh, that's fascinating. Well, congratulations. That's quite a journey you've all gone on. A lot of hard work. So, I mean, and to make that transition is, you know, it's sort of brave as well. This sounds very rewarding. I mean, it sounds like you're really out of it.
6: Yeah, thanks, Jenny. We We started uh, we started putting milk into beer barrels and uh, supplying local businesses with milk to cut out plastic in the supply chain. Mm. And one of the businesses we did that to was a gelato-making business near uh, Braithwaite in Keswick. And last August, Matthew, who runs the business, came and asked if he could move on to the farm and start making oh. gelato with 100% of our own milk and cheese, oh, uh, cream, cool. which, which we started in March this year. Yeah. So we, we set up Three Hills Gelato. So we're making gelato on the farm and selling that to local businesses as well. So milk is an amazing product. And, we, you know, we're looking at. Ricotta with the whey we're looking mm. at different types of butter, and it I is a hugely. Butter. Yes, I love cheesemakers' butter. Yeah, it yes. is an amazing it's, ingredient.
1: You're absolutely right. It is an amazing food. So, yeah,
6: so such it's a rich... amazing food, and there's lots, lots to be excited about in the future.
1: Oh, lovely. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, Mark. It was really nice to hear that story. Appreciate being here. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Bye-bye.
6: To
0: find out more about Food FM and our content, go to foodfmradio.com.
1: Thank you so much for listening to A Slice of Cheese. I hope you've enjoyed it. If you have enjoyed it, it would be lovely if you could rate us on wherever you've found this podcast. It will make such a difference to us. So I hope you'll enjoy us again. Thank you very much.